Welcome to Quadraphonic Podcast, hosted by Al Croft and Dwayne Boyd. Able-bodied is a temporary situation for everyone. Quadraphonic shines a light on issues faced by folks with different levels of ability navigating the live music scene. In this episode, Dwayne and Al welcome Laura Grunfeld, founder of Everyone's Invited. Laura and I met years ago at the Life is Good Festival. Uh, she was the ADA coordinator for that particular event. And I don't know what drew us together, but she wanted to ask me a few questions at the end. And there's actually a really funny Facebook video s- still out there somewhere. And I, I'm just ranting and raving about the uh, ADA service that we got that day. It was pretty amazing. It's probably on my YouTube channel. Uh, I would I would probably uh, probably look that up uh, to look at it again and laugh because I, 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 <laughs> I know that I would be interested in seeing it for sure. Well, I am notorious. Well, nobody knows about it but me. Um, so I guess I'm not notorious, but I am not very good at keeping up with my social media, my website, my YouTube channel, all that stuff. I, uh, you know, I set it up and then I let it go. <laughs> it's all right. It's not really a secret. There's so much that's out of date on all of that stuff. But just forgive me, people. I'm more interested in other things. Oh, oh, oh no. All the good work that you do, Laura, certainly makes up for, uh, it's not a secret. All of <laughs> well, us know, know your work. Oh, that's really kind of you. I didn't know anybody. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. And it's true that that is the part of what I do that I'm most interested in and the other sort of maintenance things. So how about you tell us a little more, Laura, about what you actually do and tell us a little bit more. Let us know a little bit of of the backstory about how Everyone's Invited got started and uh, why you're so passionate about it. Well, you know, um, I guess it's it all depends on how far back you go, but I'll just give you a little snippet of way back. Um, when I was pretty young, I, I learned, I was maybe six or seven years old, I, I learned that I had lost hearing in one ear. And so I grew up with that. And as I got older, that that uh, experience really informed what happened to me as an adult. And, you know, as a, as a young child, I was so embarrassed and so held back by having this, by being deaf in one ear. And so I really couldn't hear zero speech tones. And that meant that I always had to have people on my right side. I had to, you know, I wouldn't know they had said anything or... Uh, if they did say something and I didn't catch it, I would pretend like I knew what they said and I would guess at it and answer perhaps incorrectly. And, you know, it was sort of this, I, I don't know why, but I felt so different from everyone else. And, and I learned about that sort of that sense of isolation, um, the difference. And that eventually grew into what everyone's invited became, which is to include everyone, to not leave anyone out of all the things that go on in life, whether they be like the critical stuff of being able to get into the post office 
or whether they be the things that we may think are less essential, as we have learned about essentialness now. We sure have. <laughs> Essential has become a big word in every lexicon. Absolutely. <laughs> right. But in in our life, in a lifetime, you know, maybe we can do without sort of doing the fun things in life, or maybe we can revise what is a fun thing. But we should all have access to the fun things in life, which allow us to relax. Allow us to Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, we can let our guard down. We can enjoy the moment. And we're not, you know, constantly concerned about how am I going to, whatever it is you're trying to figure out, you know, buy a refrigerator or buy dinner or can I afford this or can I get my kid into school or whatever the everyday stresses are in your life, we need to be able to every once in a while, just let go of it all and just do the things that are fun for us. And that should be accessible to everyone. Everyone should have that. Um, you know, an interesting thing about that is that I sort of worked my way into, into working for festivals, not because I'm passionate about festivals. And I consider it to be a very lucky thing that I'm not passionate about festivals. Instead, I am passionate about inclusion, and I saw that there are many people who are very passionate about festivals and about music and about that whole sense of community. And, you know, I don't know, circumstances led me to want to make that possible for as many people as possible to allow. I think we're psychically connected because you just anticipated my next question. (laughs) I was going to say, in our first quadraphonic meeting, before we even recorded the first episode, I want to let our listeners know that you are part of that as just somebody as we wanted to uh, consult as a touchstone, because I, I really admire what you do and how you do it. I was very struck by both Life is Good festivals and you know, just the way that the ADA uh, elements of it seemed very uh, just there. And I know it takes a lot of effort to put it into place, but you, you made it seem as if it was all just part of the plan. And that is a beautiful thing to make it seamless instead of um, something that is considered extra work or an add-on, it was, the, and I mean, part of that might have been uh, the site as well, uh, because the, the Blue Hills in Canton is a very fairly level spot, and it's relatively small, but I, I'm interested in learning about, you know, the some of the bigger stuff you've done too, like. Well, uh, I, I, yeah, I was, yeah. as someone who's never gone to a festival per se, I was extremely struck, Laura, when you said, when you told Dwayne and I both about your uh, involvement with the Super Bowl, fish in the Super Bowl, did they approach you? Did you approach them? How did that work? They approached me. The uh, management approached me. Um, I had worked with one of their tour managers and or with their tour manager at, at Rothbury Festival in Michigan. Uh, so we knew each other and we knew each other's work and he invited me to come help them out. Uh, so, yeah, they approached me. I find that uh, when an event reaches out to me, it works out much better. Um, when I reach out to them, they 
sometimes feel like uh, they would be doing me a favor if they hired me. And um, <clears throat> I just want them to understand just in general how important it is uh, to be accessible. And I've seen the whole attitude about accessibility at events change. Um, I first got involved in this in the 90s. Um, you know, the ADA was enacted in 1990 and um, slowly the United States built its awareness and realized, oh my God, we've, we've got to get this together. And events were trying to figure it out along with everyone else. Um, so at the Jazz Fest, I, I was the HR director. And, you know, when you're the people person, people come to you with their questions. So I heard from patrons who wanted to know um, what was accessible at the festival. And I heard from staff who wanted to know how they could make their areas accessible. So I began to realize, wait a minute, this is an area that we need to be paying attention to. So I uh, made myself the, I added ADA coordinator to my title. And just having one person who knew what was happening all over the various departments of the festival, uh, one person who could answer questions when patrons had questions, made such a tremendous difference because otherwise you never knew who was going to tell them what. They, there was no one unified place where you could get all that information. So one of the first things I did was I wrote up a list of the ways that we were accessible at that time. I wasn't even making any changes. We had a, a, a team, the staff at the uh, New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival was super uh, caring group of people and they did everything they could figure out uh, what to do just on their own. So I had a list of the ways that we were accessible, and I sent that out to the local organizations that serve people with disabilities. And it, now that was so long ago, but I think that we also um, did some PR through articles in the newspaper and so forth. And spreading the word, like you could be super duper accessible, but if you don't tell anybody about it, it's almost like you're not being accessible. So, or it just doesn't matter really. <laughs> Communication is key. Certainly is. One of the things that came out of that was there was this mother who contacted me to let me know that her daughter, who was in uh, grammar school, uh, the school had an annual uh, field trip to the Jazz Fest. Mm -hmm. And they had always told her daughter that they that the Jazz Fest was not accessible to kids who used wheelchairs. And so she was never invited to go on that trip. Oh, man. Well, when the mother found out that we were accessible, she looked into it and found out the school did not have an accessible bus or accessible transportation. And they therefore did not want to want her to come. And did she complain to the school district or anything? Or? She, I don't know what happened, except that I know that her daughter came. Her daughter came that year. That's all the counts. Yeah, yeah came for the that's first awesome. time. Yes. Oh, that's great. Right. Yeah. Do you happen to still be in contact with that family, perchance? Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's that right there. That right there would be enough to warm my heart forever. That's That's amazing. Yeah. You, you gave someone access to something they always wanted to do. Yep. That's and, really cool. 
And that's just through spreading the word. That is a key part of a well-run access program. Well, that's kind of what we're hoping to do with this podcast is kind of let people know what's going on, who's out there that really cares, and you're, you're always going to be somebody in that book for me, Laura. Oh, thanks. Well, I think there are a lot of people who care, and there are people who are just not aware enough to realize that what they're doing is coming across as uncaring. Um, but until they build the awareness to, you know, so many people will say, oh, I just didn't even notice that, you know, when there's a, a lip of two inches. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy because curb cuts are an unbelievable thing. They're extremely useful. But if you have to walk two miles to get to one, you know, how useful is that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold up, everybody. I gotta just rewind things for our listeners. Um, Laura, tell me just a little bit more about uh, Super Bowl. Oh. Just what went into planning Super Bowl? Because a lot of our listeners are fish heads and or fans, as they call themselves, as we call ourselves, and I think are very interested. As much we're interested in you, of course, and we want to hear what you have to say. We'd love to hear some more about accessibility at fish festivals or something like that. All right. Well, I have worked two fish festivals. Um, I'm not really crazy about talking about a specific festival's accessibility. Okay. Um, because, you know, sometimes I, and I'm not saying this is true of fish, but in general, um, different festivals are more or less accessible. Um, and there are so many, I just have to say that producers are up against a lot. Um, you know, it, it might have to do with their own level of understanding and awareness about accessibility, but it also has to do with their own budgets. You know, they all have budgets. <laughs> um, they also have, they're often <clears throat> in the middle, held in the middle of a field. There's no infrastructure. Um, so they are having to put out portable toilets or they have, you know, hills and gullies and all kinds of things to be concerned about. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, but also there are, they also have temporary staff, you know, people who come in and they may have a core team of management that has experience and has worked with that event for some time, or maybe they're new to that event, but they have experience with events. But then many festivals are hiring temporary staff that are actually the front, the people that are facing the public, that are directly in contact with the public, you know, taking tickets or um, picking up the trash or giving information or whatever. There's like sometimes thousands of people working an event, um, many of whom were just hired you know, directing parking or something. They were just hired. They had a few minutes of training or an hour or <laughs> some short amount of training. Um, so that's a, an, another obstacle that events face. It's not like, um, you know, a, a Disney world or someplace where they have infrastructure in place. It's not going to change or only if they want to. They have uh, people they hire that work there year round and get periodic updates in their training. Um, so it's a way different thing when you are producing a temporary event. Um, so it's for that reason that uh, I know I'm going a little off base here with 
what no you said. Problem. But no, that, that's fine. Right. This, this is all stuff that I think people that when, when we go to festivals, this is all the stuff that happens in Oz behind the curtain. <laughs> this is stuff that we all want to understand that's going into the mix. And, you know, we, we finally cracked it and got an insider. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe what I could do is, is sort of talk about a generic festival and what it takes. If I'm providing a full on service, because I, I do provide different levels of service. Mm -hmm. But if I were to do the full on service, we could do an imaginary festival and see what that would okay, be like. If we, if we were creating a festival. Mm -hmm. A quadraphonic uh, festival. A quadraphonic <laughs> That would be awesome. Uh, so, Laura, I'm just going to say in advance, if we ever get that big, you're hired. Yay. <laughs> I don't care what the budget is. I want you. Um, but that, that being said, yeah, if we were doing the quadraphonic like three day weekend, you know, it, it, a, the ideal spot, uh, what would go down? What would have to happen? Okay. So if you were getting the full service from everyone's invited, um, I would begin by wanting to do a training session, you know, most events will have a meeting um, months in advance, some a year in advance or nine months in advance with their key producers, the, the people and um, heads of departments at the site. And I want to go to that meeting and I want to do training. I want to train that group of people, the decision makers, the budget holders, the the people who decide how much money is going to go into the access program, uh, the people who are telling their staff what to implement and what not to pay attention to, um, the real, the, the true decision makers. Turn the to, uh, noise out of the actual situation and just stick with, you know, what matters. So that, yeah. that's great. That's awesome. So I want to meet with them. I want to do a training uh, well, first of all, I want to find out what they're doing. You know, we do a site visit and we listen to what their each department is up to. Uh, but then I like to give a training to raise their awareness um, about accessibility and what it's like to have a disability and attend an event. And if I'm with a festival for years, then I each time I might focus on a different aspect of accessibility. Um, I have done like access awareness where I have people... Um, you know, wear different things or use a wheelchair for the day or uh, put a, a sock on one hand on their dominant hand and then spend the day using uh, their other hand or oh. put a blindfold on and try to have lunch with the blindfold and, you know, <laughs> be willing to ask for help and, you know, um, yeah. do that kind of awareness and, and then uh, explaining what it's like to attend an event when you have various types of disabilities. So anyway, um, I like to do an, an awareness training and talk with them about their different departments and what obstacles they have and how we can help make their event accessible and also help them begin to think in terms of, oh, wow, I want to have this activity how am I going to make it accessible? And then not only how am I going to make it accessible to people with mobility disabilities, which is the first thing everybody thinks about. Like it's, it's only picking, part of it. It's only part of it. Yes. So, and it's also people who are blind or uh, deaf people, um, people who have brain-based conditions. Um, the sensory is a whole other thing that's coming up these days. Um, it's people who have non-apparent disabilities. Um, there's 
all kinds of disabilities to accommodate and many different ways to do it. So I like to, so that's the first thing we do is have that meeting. Then I work with the department heads, you know, remotely um, by email or phone or whatever it takes. Um, I suppose these days we could do Zoom, but we haven't really gotten there yet. Well, I mean, Um, that's one good thing that I think the pandemic is um, brought us to is we're all getting used to the Jetson style phone conversation. Right. Right. Yep. So I work with them to uh, help them develop their individual departments. Then I usually go to the site uh, well in advance, uh, maybe 10 days, five days at least, 10 days, two weeks in advance of the event. Um, I, I do that so that I can watch how they're building the event and catch anything that we didn't catch in advance. Um, you know, make sure that the ramp is built to the right incline. Um, oh, you know, that toilet is turned the wrong way. You know, it's, you can't get in it or whatever um, we catch at the moment it's being built and we try to rectify it if possible. And if we can't on the spot, then we make note of it for next year. Um, then my staff begin to trickle in. Um, my key staff earlier, and then we bring on the event staff and we have a lot of training to do with them. Some of them are, have been doing this for years and some of them are brand new. Um, Laura, yeah. what, what's the biggest challenge you come across when planning a festival? Um, I, I would say it's the accessibility budget, budget. Yeah, budget and awareness. Um, and you know, and therefore understanding the importance of it. Um, I am somehow, you know, because I feel like what we do is so important, um, I am sometimes amazed that a huge amount of money can be put into um, certain aspects of the event that don't seem to me as critical as accessibility. Um, And yet when we ask for something to do with accessibility, sometimes we're turned down. Um, I know that, you know, producers have to make these judgment calls all the time. Um, but I would, uh, I would love to see um, accessibility, kind of the priority of accessibility uh, raised up a few notches. And I love working with producers that understand the importance of it. Um, you know, sometimes uh, accessibility is thought of as, well, let's just put it this way. I love it when I have direct link with the risk management officer, uh, the person who understands that accessibility is not just a nice thing to do. It's not just about inclusion and everybody's you know cool and groovy. It is also um, a legal risk. Uh, and it's, it can be a disaster if you're not accessible. Um, so I, I like to have that um, direct contact with the risk management officer. That being said, Laura, um, what what is your favorite thing, uh, or that may be your favorite thing to see come together at a festival when when everything is kind of gelling? What what is the um, the one thing or a collection of things that happen that make you feel like, hey, we're on a good track, like? This is this is going to go really well, and you know I've got staff that's 
listening to the training. I've got, you know, folks in the front office that are, you know, funding what needs to be funded. What's the big thing that when you see it come together, like, yeah, we're in the pocket. This is going to kill. Um, you know what I, I'd love to do? Let me answer that. And then I want to get back to finishing walking you through what, what happens at an event. Sure. Because uh, there's, there's more to yeah. it. Oh, there's, uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I want to hear okay. it all. Okay. Um, well, there are a couple things. Uh, if I had to focus on what was the most important uh, couple of things, I would say, um, number one, uh, what I love is when a person with a disability is having a fantastic time. Um, you know, when people go to festivals, there's something that clicks for them. Uh, I'm talking about everybody. <laughs> um, not, not everyone has that most amazing feeling, but many people just feel like this is the best time of my life right now. <laughs> You know, they'll have that experience. And when I see a person with a disability having that experience, and it might be just because I'm observing them, you know, having that, you know, it's the smile on their face, the gesture they're making. Sometimes they come right up and tell us about it and uh, show their gratitude, or maybe they write a letter or an email afterwards, whatever it is, that is why we are doing it. That is the ultimate reason. None of the other reasons are that important. The second thing uh, that also rises is high on the list, but not quite as high as that one. Second thing is the team, uh, the access program. Um, and uh, the access program team, the access team is like uh, when I recruit people that are really into it. It's not just people who want to get in the festival for free. Uh, it's it's uh, people who really care about accessibility and about inclusion. And when there are people who kind of go above and beyond and they show me that they really care about what's going on, um, then, you know, and there's a click for them, then that is very satisfying. That was super apparent when I met Holly. Yes. I love Holly. So do I. <laughs> and one of the coolest things that you did at Life is Good is make uh, part of the ADA section like beyond front row. So I got to stand in Holly's realm watching her do what she, she does. And for our listeners, she's a sign language interpreter, the Holly that I'm speaking of. And unfortunately, I can't remember her last name right now, but Holly Maniotti. Maniotti. She is an amazing human being. She turns her sign language interpretation into a, just a beautiful ballet. Mm. It's amazing to watch her. And, um, you know, her, I, I think I saw her with, uh, Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds and um, just the, the interpretation of what they did was just absolutely phenomenal. And uh, there was another gentleman that she worked with on stage, right? I believe. And they just worked together so well. It, it was literally like choreography. It was beautiful. That's great. Well, Holly is, a, is an extraordinary person and she's been with, uh, with everyone's invited for, Many, many years. I don't know how long. <laughs> um, not only is she an extraordinary sign language interpreter, 
but she is also um, key in our um, in the access program. She is an amazing producer. She's very innovative. She develops systems beautifully. Um, she works with me uh, year round, um, not full time, but part time. And um, you're right. She is extraordinary. She is as talented doing production as she is a sign language interpreter. So we got as far as my going early and the team beginning to arrive as well. Um, we're doing, uh, we've been planning all along. Um, we are now in doing the nitty gritty of it, um, working out, making sure everybody's scheduled properly. And we've got all of the hiring paperwork completed and all that kind of stuff, which we mostly do well in advance, but there's usually something last minute. Nuts and bolts. Yep. Uh, making sure the grass is mowed the last minute so it can be as short as possible, but still be strong and hardy and uh, last through the rainstorm that might come and all those feet trampling over it. It's a delicate balance, that lawn. (laughs) Um, It turned to mud really fast. Yes, that's right. Um, So that's another thing that producers are up against is weather and all the different ways that can affect their planning and, and preparation. Um, so then we go about having the event and we have everybody, um, you know, put in their position and um, doing, you know, at a camping festival, we're a 24 hour operation. So that becomes, um, you know, there's no time off, right? <laughs> uh, there's yeah. always people on duty. Um So uh, then we go through the event, and one of the things that we do is we make sure that we get feedback from our patrons, and we do a survey. And that is oftentimes I'm talking with people, but I also send out uh, staff or volunteers with their clipboards and their questions. And we get feedback from our patrons, which I believe is a very essential part of, of what we do so that we can hear from the users of the program, not just you know, our idea of what it should be like. And then there's can, that pesky word essential again. Yes. Score. <laughs> and then we can make improvements for the next year. And also when producers hear that patrons are saying something about it, it's very different than if I say something about it. it the, the, what the patron says carries a lot more weight than what I say. Um, and then after the event, we have to pack everything up, uh, inventory it, you know, all the different supplies we've needed to make this happen. Uh, write a report to let let everybody know what we need to do next year. Um, and then all of that final HR, human resources, payroll kind of stuff. Um, and then we're finally done for that year. Um, although I'm often answering emails throughout the year. What have you been doing to take up your, uh, to fill your time for the last year, Laura? Well, um, you know, the, the first part when we were all in lockdown, uh, I would go shopping for groceries once every two weeks. And that was the only time I left the house or not left the house, but drove somewhere. Right. (laughs) I live in the country. So I, uh, and we'd go out for walks and, um, you know, visit my family, but from afar, um, And I had a lot of downtime. And, you know, I so valued that time. 
because most mostly every day is is in high speed, right? Um, but just going, okay, I cannot do anything. You know, just calm down. <laughs> Um, so that that was really uh, truly wonderful, and I have to say that since then things have slowly eased back. You know, we're not. It's not like we're all back yet, and we all have to be super careful. I want to remind everybody: get your vaccine shots, wear your masks, <laughs> even Al, if you. <laughs> Al and I have both had uh, two shots now, so we're fully vaccinated. I'm still waiting for mine to kind of take hold. I have two weeks to go. And then I should be ready to go, but I'll still be wearing a mask. Yes, that's the important part is that it doesn't keep us. It doesn't mean that we can't get COVID. It just probably means it'll be milder. It doesn't mean we can't pass on COVID and not even realize that we're sick. Uh, So we still have to do all those precautions. It's just a little bit safer. And it's better to be safe than sorry for for sure. Especially if we want to get back to shows. Um, how do you as- assemble these teams and how do you know who's the right person to help you out with these projects? Because it takes a special kind of person. Right. Um, well, you know, that is such a, a great question. And uh, it's not like I have an instant answer for you. <laughs> but um, people come to us through a couple different avenues. Um One is that the festivals often have a volunteer program and we are assigned volunteers and some of them stand out. Some of them are really into it. They're not just trying to earn their hours to get their free ticket and get out of there. Um, They are actually into it and we, and they're in a position where we can notice them. uh, And they, you know, I, it's different for everybody, but they'll stand out as being somebody who we'd like to have on the team. And uh, they are people that I will ask to come back the next year as a, on the paid staff. Right. Or we've even had a time when uh, one of our paid staff had to leave suddenly, um, you know, an emergency in the family. And there was one of these volunteers who was really standing out. And I said, I took him aside and I did a little mini interview on the spot. And I said, would you like to start right now? <laughs> and he said, yes. Good and job. Uh, he's, a, he's an excellent person to be on the team. The other thing is that uh, we have, uh, when we have openings on a team, we have an online application form, uh, which we post when we're ready to accept applications. Uh, and people can write to us and we'll give them the link. Um, and that is our initial introduction to people. You know, we're hiring people all over the United States. We have different events in different places. Um, so it's better as much as possible to hire a local person, a person who's local to that event, um, or at least to have many staff that are local. And we also need uh, team members that are are very experienced and that we have had on the team. So I like to have a core team of managers that have been with the, the, with everyone's invited for a while and know, have been trained, have worked in events, can think about what's in my mind and what would they do? (laughs) Um, So we have those managers and then we hire locally as much as possible. We also have team members who come from afar 
they just they drive for a long way or they fly in and they come work with us um, just because they really want to be part of it. Um, That's incredible. That's yeah. wonderful. I like to make it super clear to people when they are hired or when they go through the interview process that we are all about inclusion. And if they, um, you know, we do not want to discriminate against anyone for any reason, uh, you know, other than whether or not they can do the job. And if that is not the way, if they're not comfortable with that, then they need to self-select themselves out of the running. <laughs> so it's a beautiful yeah. way of handling it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the cream usually does rise to the top. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's, it's not easy because we're oftentimes hiring people that I never see until they, they actually show up. Um, you know, I'm doing a phone interview or, or looking at the way they filled out the Google form and, um, you know, making decisions without actually, I, I prefer to do an interview in person, but we can't always do that. So, yeah. And Laura, what would you say is the biggest, greatest lesson that you take away from planning these ADA accessibility services at events? Um, I would have to say that um, I have been more and more convinced about uh, listening to patrons and, uh, you know, ask, listen, and then do, um, not necessarily assuming that you know what's best. And, uh, you know, I think that we have this idea that uh, we know how to do things, but in fact, our patrons know what they need. And uh, when I hear from them directly and they tell me what they need, that that's probably, um, you know, to actually listen to that, that's, that's my biggest takeaway. Um, another thing that is sort of a personal limitation of mine is I'm terrible at delegating. <laughs> I just uh, like to have control over every little detail. And um, I have learned that delegating is a good thing, that when you hire well and you have people working for you that are better than you in certain ways or complement you by being better at certain things that you're not better at, um, learning to delegate to people who are truly capable is the best way uh, to get the best product, so to speak. So uh, an example of that is um, I've always felt like toilets were an essential part of so uh, word of the day. Yes. Uh, an essential part of attending an event and having access to a toilet when you need it and having it be clean. Um, those things are, are very important and having it placed properly so that you can get in, even if you're using a mobility device. Um, so it, it takes following through from the beginning of looking at, you know, uh, at the toilets before they're placed to find out if there's anything broken that needs fixing, uh, making sure they're placed properly, making sure they're uh, being cleaned during the event. Um, there's a whole lot to uh, toilet management. And, you know, I knew all that, but I wasn't able to make it all happen necessarily. Um, and so now there's somebody on the team who loves taking care of those toilets to make sure that they are really uh, properly managed. 
That's where the delegation comes in. <laughs> oh my God. It's such a relief. And it's so great to have somebody that really gets it. Uh, you might think it's not a glamorous job, but in fact, she makes it um, just so she does such a good job at it. I truly appreciate it. So. That's just that that right there. Um, just to know that there's somebody that actually gets into that <laughs> means a lot. Yep. <laughs> because I, I've been to some festivals in the day, let me tell you. The toilet has been an endurance fest where it's just like, oh, man, I have to go in there again. <laughs> right. Now, that is such a great way to put it, an endurance fest. Oh, my God. That first of all, you have to stand in line for half an hour. And then when you get in it, it's completely swimming and all the things that people have left behind. It's, you know, one thing that I learned that many of your listeners may not know um, I learned this fairly early in, in my career of doing this uh, by listening to two patrons who told me about this. They told me that people with mobility disabilities who are using mobility devices often slip and fall in the toilets. And this yes. means... I you, can you agree to with, that. Yeah. Well, when the floor gets wet, and you know what it's wet with, and then you're trying to hold yourself up... Uh, transfer from a wheelchair or you've got crutches or whatever the case may be slip and fall is a common thing and you know what that is not good that is not good we need to make sure that we do a better job as event producers that we don't allow that to happen as much as we can control it if that's one thing that quadraphonic does is make porta potties less slippery i've done my job <laughs> yes, that's great. <laughs> well, Laura, we want to thank you very much for everything you do for the ADA community. Thank you so much for being with us today on Quadraphonic. Anything else that you haven't told us that you want to share with us? I would love to share this thing. Um, I have started doing um, a series of I'm not sure what length. I have a few of these scheduled, another one kind of... Uh, in the possible area, and that is I'm doing free trainings via Zoom about event accessibility, basic event accessibility for about an hour. Um, so that, and this is meant for producers, volunteers, um, you know, anyone who's somehow involved with a festival who's interested in accessibility uh, will want to know this. And it, it, it's very general, <laughs> you know, in an hour, there's a lot to cover. So um, I do the best I can to get the idea across of the kind of the scope of what's involved in event accessibility. You know, uh, the more people that know about this, um, the better. Um, another thing that I, I just wanted to mention is about what patrons can do, because I like to say we are all on the access team. And by that, I mean all of the staff of an event. It's not just the official access team people, but all the rest of the event. And also the patrons who are attending the event, they are part of the access team. So that means doing your research before you attend an event. Ask questions when you need to know uh, whether an event is accessible in a certain way. Ask for accommodations. Um, learn about what there is. So, you know, as, as event producers, I believe we should be telling the truth about the accessibility. If, the, uh, if there are steep hills involved, 
then a person who's attending the event will say, well, I would be fine if it was flat and only 300 feet I had to travel, but my God, this is half a mile and it's up a hill. I'm bringing my motorized wheelchair. You know, let people make their own decisions about how they can do it. The event could also say, okay, we've got to provide an accessible golf cart to get people up that hill. You know, whatever, everybody is working together. Um, then during the event, patrons should speak up when they need something and, and give feedback about how things could be different for coming years. So that's part of being on the access team. Um, we're all changing together. We all work on this together. So don't be quiet. Whatever means of communication you have, even if you're nonverbal, you know, send an email. Let somebody know. Correct. I, com- I really believe in that communication. Um, I, I think that, that in some cases, lawsuits might be helpful for somebody. But in general, I don't think people should jump to that right away. I think that what that does is it um, buys yachts for attorneys um, and does not. Uh, it's a hard way to get to what you want. It takes everyone's time and energy and money. Instead, communicate with the event, uh, say what's wrong, what you need, um, try to have a discussion and not so much a threatening situation. I think everybody can communicate better that way. See, that's why I think this forum is a wonderful way to do that. Al and I created this as an open mic for people to, you know, just kind of, we come up with a framework, but... This definitely went places that I didn't see. And I think it shed light on some really great stuff. I respect Absolutely. I respected you coming into this, Laura, but I respect you tenfold more now. Oh, well, thank this you, Dwayne. This has been amazing. Amazing Thanks. stuff. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Al. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. It's um uh, it's nice to be uh, part of this growing thing that you're, you're building here, a uh, way to connect with all of your listeners. I think it's fantastic what you're doing. Love you, Laura. Okay, I love you guys too. Okay. Oh, I should tell people, everyonesinvited.com. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, we, we were going to mention that, but it means more coming from you. <laughs> all right. Yeah, so if, if anybody wants to get in touch with Laura, Yeah, hit up her website, everyonesinvited.com. So, Dwayne, are we going to do a PSA this episode? Yeah, Al, I I thought that we would... uh... Maybe tell our listeners a little bit about United Cerebral Palsy. They are a leading organization in America for folks of all ages with cerebral palsy, which is the disability that I have. Um, it's They're an organization that uh, they're leading advocates for everyone with cerebral palsy from um, the beginning of their lives until... Uh, until the end, it's a situation where, um, you know, they, they try to help folks with CP uh, 
thrive and grow and um, make it through life the best way possible. They do a lot of really good work. And uh, if you want to learn more or give them a donation, you can visit www.ucp.com and uh, show them some love. Dwayne, after listening to Laura, what she had to say about festivals, I want to hear about your festival experiences, some of the festivals you've been to, Dwayne, because I'm in awe. Okay, well, um, as far as fish festivals, I know we're, we're getting up there in numbers. Um, I've only been to two. I, I was lucky enough to attend the Clifford Ball, and I also attended... The Great Went, and both of them were uh, difficult from an ADA standpoint. I hear that about, I'm so jealous you've been to a festival. I've never been to a fish festival, and I want to go. Well, the cool thing is, is right now, um, the rules of the game have changed. Uh, COVID has kind of cleaned the slate. And I think, uh, well, then, well, I don't think anyone's going to reinvent the wheel. Uh, festivals are going to be a whole new thing for everybody coming up. And I, th- I think that they're going to be more <laughs> inclusive and better for everyone who attends now because they really have to be careful and they really have to be cognizant about accommodation on a lot of levels. I've seen uh, movies at the Clifford Ball, and I just want to know what your experience was being disabled at the Clifford Ball. Well, I have to tell you that camping for me was insanely difficult, but um, as many fans know, we'll do anything to see fish. And I, um, you know, I, I tented it, which I'm getting close to 50 now, and I was, you know, a lot less than 50 then, and a lot more uh, spry, if you will. And a lot a lot, uh, a lot, better able to bounce back. <laughs> so I don't know if I was to spend an entire weekend in a tent, what kind of condition I'd come <laughs> back in now. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot to theorize. I don't think I could. I know I couldn't do it. I couldn't get down on a tent. Well, that's why if the gorge happens, we you and I, they were going glamping. <laughs> we are together. Glamping, yes, yes, we will glamp together. And I don't care who knows, and I don't care who makes fun of me, because if I'm going to get a cot in linens, that's going to be a beautiful thing. Because back and back when I was poor, I couldn't do that. And at eighty-eight toilets, I hope. <laughs> we can dream, right? As exactly Laura, as Laura so aptly said in the last segment, uh, toilets are a big deal, and toilets are a big deal. It's the real shit, if you know what I mean. Absolutely, absolutely, I do know, and uh, you know it's 
that's the thing is I'm not a kid anymore. You're not a kid anymore. It's you're more willing to take uh, goofy chances. And, you know, you uh, might not, you know, you run the risk of uh, injury or you run, run the risk of, you know, um, getting into a situation that if you were around civilization would be a lot easier to handle. Um, so it's, uh, there's risk involved, but I guess that's part of the adventure too. Yes, indeed. So as far as, um, I think, uh, as a, as a thought to kind of tie everything together, um, and again, giving Laura, uh, props for coming in and uh, just talking to us uh, very candidly about what she does. It was I find it just amazing that, um, you know, part of what's so cool about seeing fish is, you know, obviously the community. That's the reason why we're here. That's why Quadraphonic is doing what it's doing. Um, and the, the fact that, you know, fish is very conscious of us as fans. And I think that um, what they try to do is they allow us a time to come together and just unplug from whatever we're doing in our lives and celebrate our fishiness. And, you know, I can't wait to do that with you, Al. Um, it's been too long, man. And we've only done, we've only done it, pardon the expression, it dicks. <laughs> well, you know, um, we all know about the jokes that fly around on Dick's Weekend. That's and, true. And well, we they never get old. Never get old. Well, I told you that I'm coming on the East Coast. I've never seen an East Coast show. But there, I'd imagine the vibe on the West Coast is a lot more laid back. Well, I, I will tell you that I'm not going to say if, I'm going to say when. When you, make it, when you make your trek to the East Coast, my door is open, man, and we will, uh, we will make plans to make this happen. I think it's more about when fish is going back out on the road. But I'll be, I'll be coming over before they, they, they're on the road, unfortunately. Fortunately and unfortunately at the same time. What a conundrum. <laughs> what what is the unfortunate part if if you don't mind the unfortunate part about it is that i pro- uh is that i i'm not waiting until they go back on tour to come see you i'll probably come see you before they go go back on tour oh okay well uh, okay so i mean we'll just find tickets for something to practice <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know we'll we'll, we'll catch a j rad show or do you know what we can't is that dance band quadraphonic uh, oh, oh, oh uh we we can definitely we can definitely hit a fine connection gig that would be great absolutely absolutely i think i think dan would love it uh when he was working on the theme song uh, and and he sent you the uh the draft He's every time I see him, he mentions your dance video. That was 
kind of spur of the moment. It was incredible. That song just gets to me. I love it. It's quadraphonic, man. It says yeah. it all. Yeah, absolutely. It says everything Unlock. it needs to. We get a lot. We get quadraphonic. Another thought to tie up our podcast, maybe the fan, the fact that um, I was going to say to tie it all together back to the interview with Laura, us being who we are. You know, we want our listeners to know and to share the word that it takes a little extra planning to go to festivals and a little extra effort for those of us with physical or mental challenges and disabilities. Yeah, it's and the, the thing is, is it's all because of the unpredictability. Like if you're if you're going to a venue that you've been to before. You know, you kind of, you get the lay of the land, you know, it's, it's always best to show up early. Um, you know, if you need to get to guest services to, um, get an accommodation, you, you know, that that's all going to happen, you know, pretty quickly. So you can get in before the lights go down and before the magic starts to happen. And with a, um, outdoor situation with a festival, you've got to deal with things like weather got to deal with um the crowd on a different kind of level you got to deal with you know when is the music happening um when is the music not happening what um getting adequate food getting adequate water getting adequate rest um maybe for some staying in in or out of the sun for certain periods of time um you know things like that you got to figure a lot more into the equation now, didn't you have some thanks that you wanted to say? Uh, yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to Hales uh, Pisano, who actually uh, interviewed me for a piece in uh, Cardinal Points. It was a um, an article that uh, was released this week in uh, Cardinal Points Online uh, about the Clifford Ball. She asked me about. Uh, to share some of my memories about it, and it was a really cool experience. And uh, I just, just wanted to uh, personally thank her for including me in the article and releasing it. It helped me relive some time that I haven't thought about in a while, but it was absolutely amazing. So thanks, Hales. Well, we want to thank Laura again for coming in and helping us. And if you want to reach out again, if you would like to reach out to me, my email is quadraphonicalpod46 at gmail.com. Okay, and if you want to get me, my email address is quadraphonic1771 at gmail.com. Keep listening, folks. On the lot, we get quadraphonic. This episode of Quadraphonic was produced by Al Croft, Dwayne Boyd, and Eliza Aleshant. Special thanks go out to Don Polson for the quadraphonic graphic and Dan Cormier, composer of the quadraphonic funk theme. Thanks for listening. Quadraphonic.